0: Well, I'll say bless the Lord. If you can say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Well, good evening, Kairos. I'm Chris Brooks. I'm the pastor here, and uh, it's good to be back. Thank you again. For uh, those of you who know, we were taking a couple weeks to grieve um, and to celebrate the life of my father-in-law. Still a little bit in the midst of that, but that's okay. Um, God has been gracious and loving, and we appreciate all, all the prayers and support we're going to kick off a, a new series over the next four weeks, and I'll introduce it in just a second, but for all of you methodical people who love form and structure and every T out and I zigzagged, I don't know how that works for you, but um, I was supposed to do one last installment in our Soul Care series on Sabbath keeping, do some Q&A stuff, Um, Instead of doing that, uh, how about this, after tonight, I'll sit at one of these tables down here, and if you have any questions about our Sabbath-keeping series, I'd love to sit down at the table and talk with you through that. Um, But I think given our our calendar and where we're headed, it's time for us to jump straight into a relationship series uh, for the summer. So if you're new to Kairos, or if you're just getting to know us, uh, we want to be the kind of place and people where we come, and this is our honest and unique attempt to connect to God and each other and his mission. We wanna be the kinds of sons and daughters that not only just gather here on Tuesday night, but then when we scatter, we're the type of people who are ready and willing to do the hard work to bring the whole gospel to the whole person, anywhere, anytime, with anybody. And that's inspirational and I'm all for it. And I don't know about you how many times I fall flat of that sometimes in the middle of my week. And I want to talk about relationships because I think that is possibly the most difficult yet delightful area that we fall short of bringing the whole gospel to the whole person. It's an incredibly dangerous area sometimes, but it also can be incredibly delicate in how we come to bear the weight of the gospel for the people that we live and work with. Um, So I'm going to jump right into scripture, and I'm going to let scripture paint a picture for us for how God intended relationships, and then we'll work from there. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. We'll put it up on the screens, or if you want to pull out a device, that's great. I feel like I'm supposed to tell you guys at tables, no devices at the tables, but that's my parenting, that's not my pastoring, so I won't say that. While you guys are finding your way to Genesis 2, let me pray for us. Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen? Genesis chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 18. Then God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, I just got to pause right there, okay? For some of you uh, women in the room, that helper language, I don't know what kind of buzzers or alarms that sends off in your mind. For all of my male chauvinistic pig friends, this is not talking about in the kitchen, okay? Um, uh, We have done some incredible abuses and atrocities to women with God's word, and that's not what this text is talking about. The word "their helper, is ezer in Hebrew, and you'll find it used again in Psalm 18 to talk about the strength that King David was anointed with. You'll find it again in another Psalm where it says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. That's ezer, same word here. It is saturated with divine strength and dignity, understanding that God needed two types of genders to bear the full weight of his image. So have we reestablished the dignity of that word yet? If not, we can do more on that later, but I just felt like we needed to pause for that. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. He brought them to man to see what he would name them, and whatever man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave name to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Curious, God created a system where he would have unmet needs just so he could meet them. (laughs) For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Now, I've been a part of leading young adult ministries for about the last 14 years of my life. And here's what I know. It's a gospel fact that you have to do a relationship series every year. Uh, As a young adults pastor, I was telling the team beforehand, I will stand before God and one of the questions he will ask me along with my salvation and making disciples that made disciples, did you do a relationship series every year, Chris? (laughs) yes, Lord, I did, okay. I have to confess to you, I'm not excited about doing a relationship series. I've, I've just, the, the gusto is all out of it. I don't know if it's my stage of life. I don't know if it's my four kids are driving me crazy all the time. Um, I, I, it's just, it, it, it is what it is. But here's what I've come to realize is that the primary way that many of you experience love and intimacy with God is through your relationships. And when those are out of whack, so is your understanding and experience of God. So I think we need to spend time doing that. Um, I, I'm nervous when I do relationship series. If we were to take all the scriptures in the Bible that talk about sex, dating, marriage, and relationships, we'd probably get a little sliver of the Bible. There's a big, huge, grand, and glorious narrative that all of those things fit into and find their meaning and their purpose and their redemption, That doesn't mean we don't talk about them. It just means let's not make sure we're losing sight of the grand picture. Because what happens a lot of times in relationships is we start worshiping relationships instead of allowing them to be an act of worship. And my biggest fear for a lot of times is God is the giver of good gifts. And we very quickly drift to worshiping his gifts and not the giver. And then the next step after that is you despise the giver for not giving you the gifts when and where and how you want them. And uh, I will do my best to bring the full gospel to the weight of this text, to our time together. There's no way around it that I just have to give some pastoral relationship advice. And it may not even be that good, okay? And it may have absolutely nothing to do with your context. And if that happens, I apologize preemptively. But we're gonna talk about it anyway. And this ministry specifically targets young adults, most of whom are single. So if that's not you in this category, I invite you not to turn out or tune out and walk away, but try to hear some pleasant reminders because one of two things may happen. You, You may learn something for an existing relationship. You may bring weight of forgiveness to a past relationship. Or you may be in contact with someone this week who's in the middle of a relational crisis who needs the whole gospel to their whole person. And you might have something for them that you normally might not have. So as we read in here, and we're gonna move through here, um, I may not be excited about doing a relationship series, but now more than ever, I'm convinced of its necessity. The more pastoral counseling I do, the more talks I have, we are at an all-time high with levels of toxicity and shame and abuse, loneliness, and hopelessness when it comes to relationships. So let's see if the word of God can't breathe a fresh perspective on us tonight when it comes to that. So I'm gonna walk you guys through some stats that kind of help paint a picture. Um, Now, I need to give credit where credit's due. Uh, I've been reading and listening to a guy named Ben Stewart. Uh, He was a college, yeah, absolutely. College contemporary of mine, we did college ministry, um, and he was in Texas, I was in Alabama, I got to meet him, got to talk, incredible, gifted, super smart dude. He's got like an eight-week series of this from his ministry called Breakaway, and if you want it better and longer and wiser than me, go listen to him. I have no problems whatsoever with that, like absolutely incredible. And so I'm gonna pull from a lot of his ideas. He's wicked smart and has done some great research and I'm gonna cite him as a source and run with it, okay? So Ben Stewart, Breakaway Ministries, he's now working with some church planners in Atlanta, getting ready to start his own church. Blessings to him and to his family, incredible guy. But here's some of the research that he pulled. Uh, millennials, 70% of you when polled said, yes, I would like to get married. That means 30% of you said No. That's curious, because then they asked the exact same question a different way, which doesn't bode well for your articulation skills. <laughs> Do you want to be unmarried your whole life? And only 7% then said yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting is, I think when you ask, <laughs> so, <laughs> I was talking to a buddy of mine at the pool about cognitive development and spiritual maturity. Sorry, that's the kind of pool I'm at. But, <laughs> That, this is going nowhere. Anyway, <laughs> he was talking about adolescence, ADH brain, and the inability to make decisions based off of the future. Sometimes I think if you ask someone right where they're at in their current stage, no, I don't want to get married. I have too many things to do. Now, do you want to spend the whole life unmarried? Absolutely not. So maybe they were just answering that for their immediate circumstances or the current ministries that they were involved in based on their prospects. Um, so... The vast majority of you want to and will get married. The vast majority of you, wait for this one, will get married in your 20s. For every person who's single in your 30s and 40s, I can feel your hatred right now, okay? <laughs> I recognize and validate that pain. This is just stats, okay? It doesn't mean, oh, that's it. God's forgotten about me. It'll never happen. Because <laughs> Chris put a slide on the screen that said it wouldn't, okay? Okay? Not, not that, okay? But the vast majority of you are waiting and delaying marriage. Uh, in 1990, the average age that a woman got married was 23. It is now 26. In the 1990s, the average age a man got married was 26. It's now 29. Um, did you know that that is the largest jump in age delaying for marriage since the U.S. census has kept track of marriages. The largest 10-year jump ever recorded. So there's an incredible amount of delay and hesitation sometimes surrounding marriage. Sociologists and cultural anthropologists agree. There are two contributing factors to this. Social maturity and financially security are systematically delayed. So why are people waiting? This is anecdotal. This is observations from me and from some other people. So there's, I have no studies to cite for this, but this is just some of the reasons and you can add to some of them if you want to. I think some of the reasons we're waiting or you're waiting is marriage will delay my plans. Man, I know what I wanna do. I wanna go for it. I gotta do this, 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 and this. Spouse. Kids, gonna drag me down, all right? I need to be incredibly selfish at this time in my life, and once I get all of those things, then maybe I'll consider it. This is a cultural shift uh, in our society. It used to be that marriage was the cornerstone of building adulthood. Now it's become the capstone, where once you do everything else, then that's what comes last, rather than starting with it and building up your future with it. Not right or wrong, just something I'm recognizing. Um, fear of divorce, I won't ask everyone to raise their hands in here for all of us who come from broken families. Uh, I can remember looking at Audrey when we were contemplating marriage um, and telling her that my dad uh, left my mom three separate times, and my biggest fear is I know that lives in me. And it's not going to be because I didn't acknowledge it or I didn't work through it or that I didn't ask for help, but... You, you, you grow up with patterns of brokenness and then all of a sudden you realize, oops, that's in me too. Sexual fulfillment outside of marriage. Uh, you can substitute your physical intimacy to replace the lack of emotional intimacy. And God has given us incredible chemicals in our body, hormones, now I feel like I'm talking to my kids again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it is a driving, compelling force that steers us towards intimacy and union inside the confines of marriage. But yet, when we experience that outside, there's all the reason in the world to delay or to maybe not commit. Pressure to find a soulmate. <laughs> Anybody just feel like, oh my gosh. It either goes one way or the other one. The other one's the paralysis of options, but sometimes you feel like I have no standards and uh, I'm in bad relationships all the time or my standards are so daggum high, no one's ever gonna meet them. And so I, I, we also, we have, there's nothing wrong with romantic love. It's awesome and it's great for movie night. The rest of the work week is work, okay? It just takes effort, and I, you won't meet a bigger romantic than me. well, maybe you will. But um, it, there's just no way around the fact that you have to have hard work for two people to come together. Paralysis of options. It's just it, you always think there's something better. There's a, actually uh, a study was done in the 1930s. One out of every five marriages was to someone within a five-block radius of them. And now you just have access to tons and tons of different social networks, places, and even with all those options, you're like, oh my gosh, how do I not make the wrong choice? Um, And then I would also say paralysis of no perceived options. (laughs) Um, That's funny to people who think they have options. For those of you who don't think you have options, that's not funny laughter at all. (laughs) (laughs) I will fight you in the back, Chris Brooks. (laughs) You're married talking about this stuff. Um, (laughs) Doesn't take my Jedi mind tricks to read your minds. We'll come to that in a minute. I have no timer, so you're all in trouble. Confusion about communication, gender roles, and personal identity. Guys, (laughs) let's be honest. If I look back about three or four decades ago and take a look at married couples, they're ugly. Like they're poor and they're ugly and they had nothing. Okay. You guys are good looking. You're wealthy. You got a lot of technology. How come it's so complicated? (laughs) Do I call them or do I text them? How long do I wait to text him back so I don't look desperate? (laughs) Is it a sign of idolatry that I look at those three dots and try to imagine what's coming next? (laughs) And if it takes over a minute and I only get two lines, I'm breaking up with you because I was expecting a Nicholas Sparks novel. Do I friend them? Do I unfriend them? Do I swipe left or right? What do I do? I'm not saying it's not difficult. I'm just saying I'm over it. Um, (laughs) Then it's just weird, man, when it comes to gender roles, like who's supposed to initiate, who's supposed to respond, who's supposed to pay for what, how do I maintain my dignity, where are my boundaries, where does his start, where does mine go? Um, I used to have in college ministry kids coming up, Chris! Do a talk on dating, because people are just freaking out about dating, okay? No, I'm not doing a talk on dating. You go have a conversation with somebody. They either take it too seriously or not enough. Hey, I'd like to go get coffee. Well, I just really don't know how many kids you want to have when we're married. (laughs) I'll take a triple skinny vanilla latte with that one. Or then we date, and that's, a, that's code for, hey, let's never get serious. Um, and then personal identity. One of the most difficult things, I think, relationally for a relation intelligence uh, is how in the world am I supposed to pick a partner in life when I'm still trying to figure out what life is about? I'm looking for someone to go on this journey, and yet I'm not really sure what this journey is and who I am yet. And so I think that the Bible gives us an incredible picture that the human soul thrives and craves intimacy. But in all those lists right up there, I, when they're at their worst, I can break those down into three categories. Fear, pride, and lust. At their worst. Fear, or pride, or Lust is keeping us from creating significant and intimate relationships. And I'm not just talking about marriage relationships and long-term opposite-gender relationships. I really believe that maybe tonight the Holy Spirit wants us, by the power of the gospel and the transforming blood of Jesus Christ, to be able to hand our lust over and let him transform it with love, to hand our fear over and let him transform it with faith, and to hand our pride over and let him transform it with hope that we can be the people God's called us to be and we can establish significant relationships with one another. And by the way, just so we're clear, every single one of those things will follow you into marriage. It is not the cure-all for fear of divorce or trying to figure out who I am or paralysis of options or living with unfulfilled longings. Those are all still present. It's how do you work with it through it with someone else. So Genesis, right? We, we got a picture at the beginning of the night, God creating male and female in his image. There's that great line in the Bible, they were naked and unashamed. And you're like, uh, what do I do with that? <laughs> I have a picture for you of that. I do not. Um, <laughs> i was- God created us with the desire and the compulsion to pair up, and it's good. It's good. It's part of his created order. Now, I understand that there's an incredible amount of abuse and brokenness that comes along with that in a fallen world. And it sabotaged it a lot for a lot of you. But it doesn't mean it wasn't part of God's good intention, and it doesn't mean that it cannot be redeemed and give us one of the most staggering pictures of God's desire for intimacy and connectedness with us. The problem, though, is we love it, right? Adam stands there. Long, I'll try not to paint pictures because it's weird, but he, he looks at someone, locks eyes with her, and says, you're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and I, I, I want to do life with you, I want us to be as one. And you're like, yes, would some man just say that to me and have the guts to just pursue me? You're thinking, will some woman just finally hear that and say, yes, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. It's incredible, it's good, it's romantic. Here's the deal. A lot of us want the romance of Genesis chapter two. None of us wanna do the work of Genesis chapter one. What do you have to go through in Genesis chapter one? Six days of creation. Five days, God creates habitats that are sustainable for human life and relationship. Well, I don't you think, like, God's all powerful, right? What's the whole deal with him taking five days to do this stuff? He's God, why don't you just go, wow, pow, right? Let's just save some space in the Bible for the writers later. I created everything, and it was awesome. You're welcome, here we go. Genesis chapter two, it'll help my Bible memory out. But he didn't, right? Maybe, could be wrong, maybe even in the act of creation, he was showing us the type of work that it takes to get to life and intimacy. He didn't need to take a day off on day seven, did he? But he did. Why? Maybe he's modeling it for us. That that's how life is meant to be lived in God's form and God's structure. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, right? Light, sea, sky, air, waves, wind, birds, livestock. He's creating this ecosystem that's so extravagant and beautiful and interconnected also that what human life can show up. He was providing form and structure in which he could cultivate intimacy and relationship. Isn't it amazing? that we want the relationship without the responsibility of working to create the very forms and structures that will support and sustain it. We want the relationship of Genesis 2, but are we ready to work and wait and pray and cultivate our character so that we will be able not only to find intimacy when it comes, we'll be able to sustain it. If you want to create intimacy, intimacy. You must cultivate character. God's shaping and creating the character of creation so that it can sustain life and intimacy. His relationship with Adam and Eve and their relationship with one another. In Genesis 1 verse 2, it says, he created the heavens and the earth, but the earth was void and without form where it was empty and without structure. And into that, he creates forms and structures that'll sustain life and intimacy. Here's what I got you here tonight to say. Some of you, regardless of where you're at in your relationship with God, your soul right now in relationships is without form and empty. And the temptation is gonna be not to partner with God and his spirit And to create sustainable patterns of living in your character that will help you find and keep intimate relationships. The temptation is going to be, let me grab somebody else and pack it down into this void so that I wrap my entire values and identity around this relationship. So one, I'm asking them to bear weight. They were never designed to. And then when I realize you're not going to be able to bear it, I discard you with yesterday's trash and move on to the next person. Maybe tonight, the Holy Spirit, who it says in Genesis 1, chapter 2, is brooding over the chaotic waters of creation. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to brood over the chaotic waters of your heart and soul and start to bring form and structure. You need to ask God to say in the dark places, let there be light. And the same way in creation, it separated land from sea. We need separation from sin. And to live a big and bold new way in God's design that trusts his good intentions and his timing, even though I can't see the fulfillment of them yet. Some of us need to just get on our knees and go, God, I need you this week to cultivate my character first. Because I am failing at creating intimacy with people around me. And in fact... I find I'm in the same patterns of I draw close and push away and in of myself, I cannot break them. So I need you to go to the deep places and bring form and structure into my life. So I was getting ready to ask Audrey to marry me. Uh, we had worked in a ministry together. I fell head over heels for her. I prayed and sulked a lot and finally she repented of her sin and saw the light. Um, That's the way I tell the story when she's not here. Maybe that'll make her come next time. She's not here to correct me. Um, So uh, she was at Sanford. She was a senior and I was speaking at chapel one time and I decided I'm gonna propose to her during chapel service. How ballin' is that? So I just start, man, I start trying to get the best talk, I try to get the best illustration, I tell all of her friends it's happening, I make plans and preparations. I'm gonna cry, I'm sorry, I know it's a hard term, but I invited her dad to come up. And he hid in the audience when I did it. And everybody at school knew it was happening, <laughs> except her, like people were saying later, hey, I heard someone's getting proposed to in combo. let's go get credit. So I had her best friend lie to her right beforehand to keep her off guard. She's like, um, oh my gosh, something tragic happened with my brother. Total lie. She's like, Julie, what happened? Just come sit next to me in chapel. Um, so I thought, "All oh, that's going to be great. But during that, I decided I want to create something that we'll remember for the rest of our lives in this moment. So I decided to build a bench, a hope chest. It's part of the illustration that I'm using in the talk. I can actually bring her up on stage. I'll sit her down on it. I'll go down on two knees. I'll propose to her. And then I'll surprise her and be like, huh, I made this with my hands. You're welcome. <laughs> so I'm like, sweet action. Great idea. I'm awesome at ideas. I'm terrible at implementation, okay? And laugh all you want, most of us are great at idealizing and fantasizing the perfect relationship, we're awful at implementing it. So I get to work, I have no tools. <laughs> so first I try to find a design that's I think somewhat easy for me to understand. I go, yeah, that's doable. So I get all the materials, I have no tools, luckily the ministry I was working for had a big huge wood shop, so I go in there without asking permission and start working on this bench. I get 75% done and it looks like a pile of poo. I'm like, that's not at all what I was envisioning. My, this is not good at all. So what do I do? I call my buddy, Davey Fisher. Fish, get over here. Once again, I've written a check that my character can't cash or my skills. He comes over and goes, and he's so gracious. He's like, buddy, great effort. Um, <laughs> what happened here? Well, I was trying to figure out how to get those flush, but now there's just a 90-degree angle exposed, and that doesn't look good. Oh, okay, I see what you did. And uh, instead of saying, Chris, let's just tear it all down, he said, I think we can work with it and figure out how to get this the way you've envisioned it. Um, so he helps me do it. You open up the chest. We stained it. I put, like, two quarters on it, one from Pennsylvania and one from Georgia, like, oh, look, it's us, 50 cents. <laughs> I mounted, I, had, uh, I laminated one time when we were dating and just to be cute and flirty, she signed a receipt. She was paying for me. I'm like, you're so sexy right now. Um, and she slid it across and uh, it was the first time she ever signed my last name. And I said, ooh, daddy's gonna take that one. <laughs> so hung onto that, put that in the bench, had a picture of us, had a verse. I may have done some wood burning, but it, it was awful. My penmanship is no better when it comes to carving than it is when I'm writing. So get it, it's great. Day goes off without a hitch. I've never been more nervous in my entire life. Sit her down, go on two knees, will you marry me? She never says yes, she just cries through the whole thing, which is great, which is why we're good friends. Her dad comes out of nowhere. She shouts, Daddy! And uh, they hug, and it's awesome. And you just think it can't get any better. And after all the ruckus is dying down, I said, hey, Audrey, by the way, that bench that you just got proposed on, I built it. And it's yours or ours. And I had like dreams that this would be like this revered antique for like generations to come. Like one of our great, great grandchildren again, you're like, hey, that's grandpappy Brooks. He built that with his bare hands for your nanny, okay? <laughs> and like whenever someone comes in the house, it's the first place she's gonna go. Oh, come here, let me show the bench that Chris built. Look at it, <laughs> All right? First thing I told her, Dave, look at this bench I built for you. She says, it's awesome. Who helped you? <laughs> Davy. We're done after this, but a couple of things that I realized in the whole bench saga. One is when I matched up those designs with my resources, I realized something was missing. When God gives us his good designs and we overlap it with our lives, Part of the grace that he gives us is to realize there's something missing. Second thing is, I wanted to build that bench myself. Why? Because I wanted all the glory, doggone it. I wanted her to worship and respect me, like, yes, you're incredible, Chris. What did I need? I needed help. And a lot of us, when we go at relationships, we just want to be able to take care of it all of ourselves. We don't want to tell anyone of our weaknesses or inadequacies or faults or foibles. You need Help you need someone who's going to walk in and not condemn you, just go, great effort. Hey, here's some things I see in your life. That's why we love Bible reading groups and will unapologetically say, if you want to create intimacy in your life, you have to cultivate character and you can't cultivate character by yourself. What does it look like to get with a group of people around God's word and God's ways and just go, Hey, how can I be the person God's designed me to be so that I can be a blessing and not a cursing to people? Last thing that I learned from that bench was this. Oh, I had a vision of what, what place it was going to have in our family. Do you want to know where it is right now? I may even have a picture of it. It sits in our playroom and it's been painted over and it holds our kids' costumes. <laughs> she never talks about it. <laughs> it's not part of the tour of our home. It's when Christopher wants to dress up like Batman. That's where they go. You know what? That's all right. Most of the things right now that you're valuing and investing in, you may have great and grandiose plans for. Be okay if God doesn't use it the way you thought he was gonna use it. Just be okay that it has a part in his redemptive story. Amen? Let's take 120 seconds and pray together. Here's a question I have for you as we kind of listen into the Lord. Is there... a relationship or a void in your life right now that you need the gospel to bear its full weight? Is there any chaos in your heart that you need the Holy Spirit to brood over and to bring light where there is darkness? as you listen to God's design for intimacy and relationships and you realize if I wanna create intimacy, I've got to cultivate my character. Where does that start? Let's listen and see what the Lord will speak to us.